Welcome to I Am Helen Keller's Daughter podcast. My name is Laura Newman, and I want to share my story about my mother's deafness, blindness, and dependency on prescription medication, her schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, and the resulting of my chronic trauma throughout my childhood and adulthood. I'm currently an unexplored speaker, eager to share my story of resilience with anyone who wants to listen and who will find meaning and learn from my life. My vision is to help listeners discover what it feels and looks like to live without sight, hearing, connection, and love. The unknown community of the deaf and blind world, children of deaf adults, and the association of cultural awareness that my parents were without, and us, that subsequently hurt two forthcoming generations. I will share all of my pain and everything I learned. I provide real life accounts in my healing. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to my podcast. I'm so excited to be back again to share my story and all of the beautiful things that come out of it and all of my experiences that um, has, has transpired. Okay, so I am not the person that usually talks about a lot of stuff before I get started. I like to just get into the nitty gritty of things because it drives me nuts on podcasts or like talking about 30 things and then you're like, I just want to hear about the story. So if you're the kind of person that loves all these intros and fun facts, I have none for you. So I'm sorry. But um, I did want to get into today about um, my mom and why I think my mom had such an easy time letting us go, all of us children, into the welfare system or to just live with my, you know, our friends from my sister and my brother that are older. They just moved in with their friends' parents. So um, a lot of a lot of my studies started when I was in college. I was really afraid to even think about why my parents didn't want me because I didn't want to know that they didn't love me. Um, I just wanted to avoid figuring out anything at all. I just thought if I didn't ask, that I didn't have to worry and I, and I didn't have to feel. But after a while, um, I realized that because I was avoiding the way that I felt about what had happened to me, that I was really just hurting myself. And then I was also just creating this big lie because I would never tell anybody what was happening. Um, and so when somebody would say, where'd you go to high school or um, what was it like to grow up with your parents and things like that, I would have to make things up and I would lie. And I hated it because I hate being a liar. It's not who I am. And I just got sick and tired of hiding my life from everybody. And so it wasn't until I reached college, and that's pretty much one of the biggest motivation uh, motivator motivators for me was to go to college to learn about what had happened to me and if there was anybody else like me. And I knew there was other people because I lived with them, right? And so... Um, my mom, you know, as I explained at the very beginning of this podcast, she was going to the deaf and not the deaf and blind, but she was going to Delavan, which was a school for, um, the deaf. And so when you would go to the school, um, you still can do it today, but things have changed a little bit. It's not necessarily, um, common just to send off your kids that are deaf to school. They have, you know, schools that are much closer. They've established schools all over, you know, the United States to make them more accessible, but the accessibility to schools a long time ago was very slim. And so the school that was available for my mom, um, was in Delavan, Wisconsin. And so that meant that she had to move out and really just not move out as in she moved all her stuff over there, but she was only home on the holidays and for like summer vacation and things like that. And so when she was living there and then coming back home, um, she infrequently had a, t- you know, time to develop a relationship with her parents. And I think that um, this separation and this living somewhere else really messed her up um, emotionally, cognitively, and socially. 
And so when I talk about all of these factors, I think about attachment theory. And so I talk about attachment theory, not only because I'm teaching this in class and it's a good reminder, but you know, when I looked at my personality and the way I was, when it was came to relationships, you know, there's a lot of things that I needed to learn about myself because I, I had a, a, a different way of loving. And I also was just struggling in some of my relationships, not understanding why, um, why they weren't successful, right? Like why, why is this not working out? And so I am a learner. I just love to learn. And so when there's something going on with me, I will find, I will Google it, see if there's anybody else that has been through it. And then I'll read a book about it. Cause I really love enjoying, um, to know how I develop my personality and my traits and why I love to read and things like that. I just love learning and learning and learning. And so I do the same thing with other people. Um, I'm always constantly like, um, Googling things and buying books. I'll even buy a book and an audiobook so I can have one to keep and then listen to one while I, I walk. I mean, I am just all about information and learning. I don't think I'll ever stop learning. Okay. Anyways. Um, so attachment theory basically is just, uh, the way that we are attached to someone in a relationship in our very early years of life, our first attachment is with a, a, a caregiver. So usually you say a parent, but we all know that sometimes parents are not our primary caregiver. It's a caregiver who's not biologically related to us. And so it could be a foster family, uh, a foster mom or dad, or it could be an aunt, or it could even be um, a cousin. So our first attachments are with our parents. And this is where we learn how to trust other people and whether or not relationships are safe. And so when relationships are not safe and when you're not sure you can trust people, when you go out into the world and the relationships you build with other people are either going to be emotionally stable or they're not going to be emotionally stable. So attachments teach us how to regulate our emotions and they teach us how to um, reach out to people and make new friends that gives us confidence. And this is like in our earlier years. And it also helps us feel safe and secure knowing that we could venture out and be exploratory on our own and that people won't hurt us and that it's safe. So when you're young, think about when you're just trying to navigate and figure out everything that's in front of you, right? Um, you're, when you're young, you're going to know that mom and dad is present. They're encouraging you. They're applauding you. They're, you know, they're mimicking your emotions. They're telling you that everything's going to be okay. And you start to explore because everything is safe. Why wouldn't you? But in the opposite, when there is no love, no compassion, um, no kind of connection with the parent, it's very scary. It's very uncertain. It's dark. It feels very um, anxious. And so children develop um, an anxious attachment where they're not sure what's going on at home. You know, my mom is happy, then she's not happy. She's comforting me. Now she's yelling at me. She's making me feel guilty because I'm crying and now I'm not crying. And so there's all of this like insecurity about whether or not I'm safe and whether or not if I go out and do something, it's safe because I'll get yelled and about it and then I won't. And so these kind of infants um, end up having some emotional problems in school and they have a hard time regulating their behaviors. It's hard for them to make friends because they're all over the place. Um, they're not really likable. They're not approachable. And then there's also like these confused you know, infants that are just um, unsure and avoidant and just trying to um, not feel any emotions at all. They are so avoidant and so confused about stuff that they just know that they can't trust their caregiver, that they don't even reach out to them when they are afraid. And so that's really scary. And so you could actually Google a lot of these videos. These videos are available on YouTube. There's um, 
you know, secure attachment style, insecure attachment style, avoidant. And, um, I'm surprised I forgot the fourth one, but there's a fourth one. There's all kinds of them. Actually, there's like codependency, trauma attachment, things like that. And so why I bring these attachments up is because what ends up happening is a lot of these, um, these beginning attachments carry over into like preschool. And then the way that you formulate relationships with other, um, kids are, either going to be there or they're not, or they're reciprocal, meaning that those children kind of mimic the same behaviors that you have. Um, and then it goes into childhood and then it goes into adolescence and then it goes into early adulthood. And so as you're progressing through life, you don't realize that you're kind of creating these insecure, um, relationships with other people. If you have an insecure attachment, you're not trusting of people. Um, you are very unsure, you're unsure of yourself. And so all of these things happen. And so I think that in her earlier years of life, based off some stories that people have told me, um, I don't really know much personally because I never had the opportunity to sit down with my mom and ask her about the way she grew up. We also didn't experience a lot of those interactions. We didn't see them hanging out all the time. We didn't see this bonding of love. Um, and we didn't get to interact with my mom to even have her talk about those stories, like just at the table randomly about the way she grew up. It was just completely blocked off. So the way I learned about my parents is through pictures, or not my parents, but my grandparents on my mom's side is through pictures and stories. But I also can um, evaluate, I guess, with my research of mine and f- through all of my education and kind of decipher some of the way that she was with me and maybe take some educated guesses that she probably did not have a secure attachment with her mom. And so as a result, um, she was insecure in her own um, idea of herself and her the relationships with other people. And on top of that, she probably didn't feel very secure knowing that she was going to go blind. Maybe she was worried about the way her life was going to be. And with the lack of security of having somebody say, like her mom, uh, you're going to be doing great. We're going to figure out ways to work around this. I want you to know that we're going to get you, you're going to finish um, high school. We can get you into a college. There's a deaf college. Um, that's, I forgot where it is. I think it's in Washington, but just to really give her, um, peace of mind and this emotional comfort, the sensitivity to say, tell me how you feel. Let's work through it. It's okay to feel those feelings for being, you know, all the stuff that's going on. None of that. And so I think she just had a lot of things going on when she was younger and nowhere to turn. I mean, think about the way that children can express themselves. If you have a child, uh, it's really hard to formulate the kind of language that we can as adults because it's just not cognitively available. And then if you're so busy being avoidant and not wanting to feel any emotions, then you're definitely not going to be like, hey, mom, I want to talk to you about anything because you feel unsure or anxious around them. They're going to be mad at you or anything like that. So I think that what ended up happening is um, when she went into these uh, into the school where she got removed from the home constantly, that insecure attachment was only like um, intensified. And she never grew the bond with her parents. She never knew what it was like to live with her parents. And she never had that emotional attachment or memories. You know, how many times did they play games together? How many times did they sit down and talk about friendships or what it felt like to be a teenager or or what it felt like to work through problems with um, peers in school or the kind of activities she was doing or applaud her on her homework? I mean, nothing was there. There was absolutely no kind of bond no kind of encouragement, no kind of sensitivity, no kind of loving. And so she, she, she said the best thing that ever happened to her was going to school. 
And so she, it sounded like when she did explain that, that she was almost like school saved me because I was not ha- happy at home whatsoever. And I don't know if it was because she just didn't feel like they didn't love her the way she wanted to or what. I, I really, I don't know what those things are. But when you fast forward to my life, I think that's part of the reason why she just was like, see you later. She had not learned how to grow an attachment um, with us and with me, you know, particularly me. I mean, all of us really, she didn't form any attachment with all four of us, but I think this insecure attachment just, it just kept on rolling. She never, she never took the time to work on herself and, and learn how to love a child and what not to do and how to work through her own trauma that she just projected all of her pain, um, and all of her lack of love on us. And so when we got sent off, I also think because we didn't have any friends that were like in the welfare system, we didn't have any friends that were in group homes or foster homes. I think she just told herself that, well, if Devlin was a great school for me and I went to school, you know, if she gets sent off to a group home, it must be the same thing. And it was the exact opposite. This group home, these group homes and these foster homes, I mean, the foster homes were okay. Not all of them were okay. Like I'll just side note this real quick. You know, I feel so guilty for bashing the like the foster care system and the welfare system. And so I do need to say these are my experiences and they don't project to everybody else. And I'm, I was also in the system at a, a much earlier time. And so based off of my experiences and probably the outcomes that they have found out uh, through research, they have very they have very changed or very well changed. There's that uh the subject word object that just came out there that I talked about. Um, they've changed a lot of things, but anyways, I remember I went to this one foster home and this, so I went in there and of course I was really afraid. It's just like brand new family. And, um, you know, it, they weren't, they weren't like me. I mean, they, they were a completely, um, a different family for me. Like they, there was like no similarity whatsoever. Like I was like, how are we going to bond? And so my room had two beds in it and one was made or one was blank and the other one had um, sheets on it for me to make. And so I said, all right, so I'll do it. And then uh, when I went to my room, cause my social worker took me to the room was like, this is going to be your brand new bed. This is where you're going to live. You know, she's talking to me as if I'm like excited. I'm like, this is the scariest day of my life. What are you talking about? And so we go in the other room and the door is hanging on its hinge. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And she was like, oh, are you guys going to fix that door? And they're like, yeah. So I go downstairs and I hang out with the mom and the dad. The dad's in this like hospital bed. He is uh, bed bound. He's older and he's like on this air machine and it's traumatic because I'm like, what the heck happened to this guy? I look on the wall and they have like a foster family of like 15 kids. And I was like, oh my gosh, that must mean I'm going to be here forever. And then I'm going to be in that picture, which means that I'm never going to go back home. And so she, the, the social worker left. And so the mom was like, oh, do you want to help me put some stuff away? So I go in her in the kitchen to put some stuff away. And I open one of the doors and there's a freaking mouse in there. And of course I'm a kid. I mean, I still get scared of mice and mouses or any rodents. And so I jump and she was like, oh, you're going to have to get used to that. And I was like, all righty. So we went to the grocery store and I went shopping with her. And I will tell you, I was completely ashamed because I felt like everybody knew that I was a foster kid. I couldn't even look at people in the eye. I was ashamed that I wasn't loved. Oh, it was so hard. You have no idea what it feels like. And now you do, I should say. What it feels like to just be out in the public with somebody that is very apparently not your parents. 
And it, it was just hard. I hated every second of it. And unfortunately, because I felt so ashamed and I was so angry and so sad, I just took it out on her and I didn't talk to her. And I just said, I don't want to be here. So anyways, I go upstairs um, to go to bed because it's nighttime. And what do you do when you're a kid and you're in, in a stranger's house, in a stranger's bed, in a neighborhood you've never even seen before? You look out the window and you cry. That's what you do. So I sat there and I cried and I cried and I cried. And then when I woke up, because I had not been in that room for a long time and I was just given a tour of this house that was absolutely filthy, I woke up and there was mouse poop on my bed. And so when I talked to the foster mom, she was like, you were in the wrong bed. And she was like, you should have been in the other one. And I was like, oh, okay. And at that moment, I was absolutely terrified. And it's not like I could pick up my social worker or pick up the phone and call the social worker and be like, hey, take me to another place real quick. This one's got mouse poop and there's mouses in the in the cupboard. And I feel absolutely embarrassed because they're completely different for me. And now everybody knows that I'm an unwanted child. I couldn't. You, you couldn't do stuff like that. You had no voice. So... I said, I guess I'm going to lose all my stuff again because how was I supposed to, I couldn't pick up my whole bag of clothes and be like, I'm going to school. They would be like, why would you need all your clothes to go to school? So I had decided at that moment that I had to leave all of my clothes behind and just take one outfit. I went to school and after school, I just ran. I ran, I ran all the way from 8th and Walnut in Milwaukee, all the way back to, you know, the east side of Milwaukee, all by myself. As a kid, that was probably like, I don't know, 12, 13. So foster homes are scary. I have to be honest, my experiences were just terrible. So my mom had to, she didn't experience any of those things whatsoever. And so I think she had a real wrong idea about what it was like to be in the foster care system. Another thing that I think that influenced her and what made it so easy um, or why she just doesn't care that we were gone, because she never was like, oh my gosh, I lost my children. She never cared. It was just awful is when we were growing up, she definitely, um, she was mean. I mean, I have to say it, it, um, it's very hard to say this out loud because I don't, I don't want to annihilate my parents' reputation. I mean, I love them. We have worked through many things, but my mom was mean. She was absolutely mean. The rules that she gave us was just out. It was just out of this world. I mean, things that aren't even, um, they don't even make sense. And so sometimes I, when I think about the way we grew, we grew up, I compare myself to like extreme families that you see on TV or I compare myself to like the boy it because my mom wanted nothing to do with us. We weren't even allowed to talk to her or my dad and they wouldn't even allow us to have friends. We couldn't have people over. They rarely let us leave the house. Um, and my mom almost... I feel like she almost enjoyed watching my dad spank us. And she always waited for my dad to come home every single day to tell him what we did wrong. And when we did stuff wrong, we did stuff like eat something without permission. We sat on the couch, not on the floor. We spilled something on the floor. We asked my mom too too many questions. We used the bathroom, the wrong bathroom, things like that. I mean, you were so damn worried about making mistakes that you just were like, there's nothing that I can do right. And so you always, 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 every day, you knew you were going to get in trouble. And I think that my dad got so sick and tired of like always having to like tell us what we did wrong and all that stuff that he just grew frustrated that he had lost his compassion and was like, I don't know, you know, getting to her level of meanness. I was, you know, but then there were some times where, 
I could tell that my dad was like, oh my gosh, are you here to tell, I mean, I just got home from work and now you're going to tell me all these issues. Like, can I just come home and say hello to the children? It was like, he, she wouldn't even let him like hug us. She'd be like, you need to talk to me in the bathroom now. She would like turn back and make a fake a face at us. And, you know, sometimes she would like get down to our eye level and she would be like in our face with her signs and she'd be like, you wait until your dad gets home. And I remember one time my mom wanted to spank me herself and she like brought out this leather belt and she came upstairs and she was like, pull down your pants. And I knew in my heart she was going to, she was going to beat me. And so I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. And she was like in my face and yelling at me. And I was like, no, I'm not going to let you do it. And then she like walked out and then she got my dad and he did it anyways. So, um, when you say scary, it was very scary growing up in our, in a house because it was very unpredictable. You could do anything wrong and maybe get punished for it or not. You could do something as simple as like using the bathroom on the first floor or goofing around and get, you know, spanked really hard. I remember one time I, um, I, uh, I was goofing around with my younger brother and we were sitting on a sheet because we weren't allowed to sit on the floor. Like we couldn't sit on the floor cause we were dirty kids. I have no idea. And so we weren't allowed to sit at the table. We weren't allowed to sit in the kitchen. We weren't allowed to sit at the office table. It's just the only place we were allowed to sit on was the floor. So, you know, I'm eating my bowl of macaroni and although the house was like hostile and really, really neglectful, you know, I was still being a kid, you know, thank God to Nickelodeon. They, I mean, I think we watched that and used that to fill our hearts with joy and to feel normal and to see what other kids did. So anyways, I learned that I could, um, I could eat something and I could push it back through my nose. It was a gift that I have. And so I was like trying to show my little brother, um, my little brother, I was like, watch this. I can make the macaroni come out of my nose. And man, I remember it hurt. My eyes were burning and it was because it was too big of a noodle. I should have went down to a smaller noodle, but anyways, and so I did that. And I got spanked because I was being childish. And then I got sent to my room. So um, this lack of emotion and understanding that that is not the way that you parent and that um, sending me off and withdrawing love and being neglectful only added to the emotional instability and the acting out to get attention and all of these other things that started happening when I was growing up to get some love. Um, it just made everything worse. And so I think a part of the reason why she absolutely just didn't want anything to do with us is because she was too busy trying to earn my dad's love. And I think she wanted my dad's love because she never felt loved. And so when she would see my dad love us, it made her jealous. As weird as that sounds, um, it made her jealous. And so instead of him having a relationship with us, she did everything to break that relationship. And what she did is she just got us in trouble and she painted this picture of us being really bad children. And she made these crazy rules that made it impossible to be a good child. And so, you know, I don't know if my grandparents or my uncles and aunts even know any of this. I think that all of the stuff that was going on was very secret because nobody ever would come over and nobody really knew what was going on. And so I think a part of that was the reason why it was so easy for her to ship us off um, because she wanted my dad to herself. And then when she started getting addicted to those prescriptions based off depression, um, I think that she also just was in a funk of a lot of things. Now, 
I would have to say that there's a lot of research on military family families that um, identify that when a significant other, a parent, a primary caregiver goes off on deployment for a very long time and they come back, their children have insecure attachments. And so it's common to, to have these insecure attachments. It's not like it's just because our, you know, our family is just this extreme family. It happens to other families too. But again, nobody ever takes the time to research our the deaf community or the CODAs or, you know, and to take the time to realize that there's a lot of things that are happening us, to us too. And when there's no research, there's no, um, there's no help. There's no answers. There's no programs. There's nothing. And so how are, you know, how are psychiatrists and, um, our helpers in the system supposed to be aware of what's going on in their lives if nobody's even paying attention to it. And so, it makes me very angry that there wasn't um, anybody that projected in her life and was like, hey, she never gets to spend time with you guys. And I think she's really broken. And I think she's really having a hard time coping with her eyesight skills. And if she's not, her eyesight skills, her blindness and her deafness. And if she's not, maybe we need to sit down and ask her and say, hey, what does it feel like? How do you feel? What do you think about your future? What do you want to do with your life? Nothing. There's nothing there. So I just, you know, thank God there's more schools that are accessible. And so that children like, you know, that are deaf don't have to grow up in those situations where they're apart. And so attachments are, are critical and attachments show up in our adult lives. It doesn't mean that you're completely screwed for the rest of your life, but the way that you show the way that your first attachment starts can translate and transpire and show up in your adult life. And I think that's what happened. And so that's my, if I were to write a research paper about my life and my mom and why it was so easy for her, I think she had a very insecure attachment. And I also believe that with her attachment style in her adulthood, she was very insecure of um, having somebody else take that love away from her, that she would do anything to keep it. And that meant that she had to get her children out of the way. And so she would do all those things. And then um, her drug addiction didn't happen or didn't help. And of course, not having the appropriate people to come in and say, hey, something's not right. You know, there's all these opportunities for the school system or for the doctors and the pharmacist who are just letting her refill her prescriptions instead of sitting down with her and talking to her. I mean, those people too. Now, I'm not sitting here pointing the finger at everybody because believe me, deep down in my heart, it's very hard to know that my mom was like that. I mean, she, at the end of the day, was the decision maker, but I know what it's like to not have help. And I know what it's like to not even be aware of what you're doing. Like, think about all the times you were like, I didn't even know I was like that. Or I didn't know that I was like that. And I'm glad you pointed that out. Thank you. You know, all these unconscious things that we don't realize until somebody points it out to us. So I guess I just have a heart that sees the entirety of somebody, not only of everything bad that they did, but also the things that happened in their life. And I just have this grace in my heart from God, because I don't think he would come from anywhere else that sees people and loves them no matter how much they hurt me. And so that's why I love my parents so much. There's no way that I would give up on them. It was very hard to establish a relationship with them again, because it hurts. I mean, it still hurts. I don't think I could ever fully heal from that. Um, especially because some of the behaviors still pop up in some ways in my adult life and things like that. And we'll get, you know, we'll get to that one day, but 
you know, it takes, it, t- it takes a lot of bravery. Um, and God, I have to be a hundred percent honest. There's no way I could do it without him because I wouldn't be, um, secure. I wouldn't have the faith and the hope and the joy and the love that's in my heart without him because he's the one that gave it to me. Cause I had none at all. So, all right. Um, I don't think I'm missing anything. I, I, uh, I want to just thank everybody for listening to my podcast. It means a lot to me. And I know these stories are very deep, but you know, today we talked about attachments and maybe there's some stuff that you want to learn about yourself. So Google them, you know, attachment theory, uh, John Bobley, did I say his name right? Bobley, 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 whatever. You guys know I don't say all my words right. Um, Mary Ainsworth, she's another theorist. And there's a lot of other things that are like trauma, their um, attachment and codependency. Just keep this in the back of your mind when you read it and you find that you might be matching a, a, a theory that is something that you were hoping that wouldn't be true is it doesn't mean that it determines who you are at all. You have the power to change the way that you perceive and the way you are in relationships. Sometimes it just takes a little extra help um, through therapy. Um, sometimes it just takes a little prayer it sometimes just takes a little time. So don't ever look at anything and feel hopeless. You always have the ability to change. All right. I'm going to close it here. Thank you again, everybody. Bye.